welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, the 49ers have announced their final 53-man roster. The two-quarterback system is apparently officially here. We'll discuss the plays that we saw in the final preseason game and talk about Trey Lance's development. And with me this week, detailing his packing cube strategy to bring home all the whiskey in the world, it's David Newman. Man, I haven't joined the, uh, the packing cube life yet. Bro, packing cubes are, they're incredible. They are invaluable. They are such an amazing invention and so simple. It's just a little cloth box, and yet mm-hmm. it allows you to grab and pack so many more things. It's wonderful. I'm on, I'm on board with it. I just don't really travel enough to warrant that purchase at the moment. I get that. I get it. Uh, I I worked in a job where it was like 75% travel for a couple of years, and it saved my life. Uh, and it even works as like a dirty laundry thing afterwards. Just put all the dirty laundry in the cube, and like this cube is dirty laundry. This cube is not. It's great. Uh, we're, we're talking about packing cubes because we're actually a little early this week because we're getting on an aeroplane on Thursday. It is my birthday. We're flying to Kentucky. Uh, David is my plus one. <laughs> and we are going to go uh, and hit up a bunch of distilleries in Kentucky and do the bourbon trail uh, and hopefully try not to get sick, wear lots of masks and do all the things. Uh, but lots of friends uh, are, are going and it's going to be a fun try. It's going to be a fun time, fun trip. I'm excited. Um, but you won't hear from us until, um, well, we're back next week. Hopefully if we a- survive, you know, so like <laughs> this do may a- be the last time. Maybe this may be the illustrious end. Much like Dante Johnson, though, trust me, we'll be back. Uh, but we are, we're going to do a season preview next week. And then we're actually going to try to do a little bit uh, different timing in terms of the pods this this regular season. We're going to actually try to hit you with a kind of post-game quick reaction pod on uh, Sunday night. We'll see maybe Sunday, maybe Monday. We'll see how things go. And then do another maybe deeper dive on Thursday and, and do two shows a week this season. We're going to try to ratchet it up. Oh, snap. Throw something in the mix. It's going to be wild. It's going to be crazy. Join us. But for the next two weeks, we're going to stick to our once a week kind of cadence. Um, this week, we've got some news, though. I'm glad I'm doing it on Tuesday because the roster cuts, they happened. They dropped. They're here. And there, there are some takeaways. Uh, and takeaway number one, David, the Niners love defensive linemen. Love, love, love them. Love, love, love them. There's 11 of them on the roster. This is actually the second time in the Shanahan era that they have kept 11 defensive linemen. They did it in 2017. So this is not unprecedented, but it is a lot of defensive linemen. Uh, and by my count, what, I think seven of them are three techniques. So <laughs> uh, should be. You got to stay on brand. You have to stay on brand. <laughs> yeah, no. See, I, I mean, sh- no surprise, obviously, right? Like they, they put so many resources uh, along the defensive line, both in terms of uh, kind of the the higher end, you know, picks or, or premium free agency money or, or whatever it may be uh, there. But also in, in terms of depth, I mean, that is kind of the spot that they want to be rock solid on that defense, right? That is the the position group that they are expecting to lead this unit. So um, yeah, they, they, they love them, but it's no surprise that they've got 11 there. They want to throw waves of defensive linemen at you, and they do have them. Uh, Mo Hurst is the only one that may not be there for the beginning of the year. Well, him and Jordan Willis. It seems almost like the team is, at this point, kind of planning for attrition. Like, they're planning for one of these guys to basically be done for the year or to be out for a significant number of weeks. By the time you hit week six, it's going to be like, well, 
maybe we lost an edge, right? Maybe Arden Key gets injured. Well, Jordan <laughs> Willis, come on in. Like you're 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 the guy. You're coming out the suspended list. You know, Mo Hurst has a high ankle sprain. Someone's gonna get hurt. Mo Hurst is gonna get more snaps. It just feels like they're almost preparing for that uh, at what they think is one of the more important position groups in uh, on their team. And honestly, can't blame them with their injury luck so far. They're gonna need reinforcements sometime very soon. Yeah, and I think it's telling, right, that not only in, uh, I think, the attention that they're paying that group, right, but also just, I think, the number of players that they they have there, right? Like, in terms of, like, decent quality rosterable players that are there, because I don't think, like, there are, are really any of those guys that you point to, like, oh, he's just bad. Like, that's a bad situation that he's there. I think, you know, obviously, Contavia Street, we haven't seen much from and, and, and whatnot, but... Uh, yeah, I, I think like you can't uh, plan for that kind of depth at every position. And, and I, I think it's telling that that's kind of the one area that they focused on, right? Because obviously there are other position groups that, um, you know, you would like to be deeper at, but you can't be deep everywhere. Yeah, I, I still think that Arden Key is going to be the sneaky signing. I, I thought it would be Zach Kerr and maybe Mo Hurst, just because I think those are two very good players that could do well in the system. But Arden Key has stayed healthy, and he has actually provided some really, really positive snaps. He's popped on tape this preseason. It would not surprise me if he steals snaps from the 49ers' chief free agent signing, Samson Ebukam. And, and that would be, I mean, ultimately for the Niners, it would be a welcome development because they need some more juice off the edge, especially if D Ford is only going to play like maybe it, look, if he can play 20, 25% of snaps, that's great. That's gravy. That's a bonus, but you can't count on it. And so I think having Arden key or Ebukam would be a nice surprise to pair next to Nick Bosa. Uh, but this is probably a bad year for tight end conversions. Jordan Matthews didn't make the roster. Um, Tim Tebow, got, I mean, his journey ended long ago. You know, he did not get the final rose at the rose ceremony. It was it was not good for tight end conversions. It's I can't imagine that's an easy position to transition to. You have to go from like being I don't know like in in Tebow's case a quarterback um, to to adjacent. like learning how to block yeah a quarterback adjacent <laughs> to to learning how to block people, which he clearly from the the clips was not willing to do. He wanted to two-hand touch them. It was great. Um, I do think Jordan Matthews would be... I think he probably gave it more effort and put more behind it. But even then, being an inline blocker is hard, man. It's hard. You can't... It's, it's not just an easy, I'm going to go ahead and hit up defensive defensive ends. He's going to have to go up against the Eric Armsons of the world and actually hold up every now and again. And and that's. I think that's a tough conversion for anyone. Yeah, I mean, especially for this team in this offense, right? I think there are probably teams... Uh, you know, that that he might have had a better shot at making that conversion with, right? But, uh, you know, the 49ers are going to spend a lot of time with their tight ends in line, and, and you're going to have to block people because obviously they're going to run the ball a lot. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's a much more uh, kind of old-school tight end uh, prototype that you need in that position, right? And, and so, yeah, I think somebody that's coming is just a big receiver like you really can't get away with that where I think you could go to some teams, you know, where you're a second tight end somewhere and you're just really the receiving guy. And most of the time you're going to kind of split out and play in the slot anyway. Right. Like I think that type Jimmy of Graham. Stuff. Yeah. It, like he's yeah. In line, not really going to be your inline blocker. He exists there and he's, <laughs> and he plays, but that's not, that's not where you're going to put your effort. Not ideal. Right. Yeah. So I, I think, um, yeah, just w- was going to be a tough thing for him to do. And, and this wasn't the place to do it. 
And lastly, I think you look at the wide receivers. Everyone focused a lot on the wide receiver group this offseason, and rightfully so. That position group has really been in flux as long as Shanahan has been here, I feel like. And they've been trying to find players. They've been drafting players. And they find the, the, the top of that position group is very clearly defined with Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel. But the rest of that group basically has almost no speed. I mean, you've got Mohamed Sanu, who's not like not fast. Jalen Hurd, he is, I guess, like short area fast, but he's not a burner. He's not going to take the top off. You've got Jawan Jennings, who, look, my dude does a lot of things. I love him as a player. Super stoked he made the roster. Not someone I'm going to expect run to, to run very, very quickly. Uh, and, and then that's basically it. Like, Sherfield, yes, has the deep shot, but he's not exactly a burner. He's not super fast. I mean, basically, it's like Brandon Ayuk. He's the fastest guy. He is your deep threat. And that's, and that's kind of it. So it, it, it probably fits the mold of, of the bully ball team that Shanahan wants to build and run, but there's not a lot of take the top off speed that's going to threaten defenses in this offense. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, Sherfield is probably the only guy beyond the top two that you would even come close to considering, right, is, is an option yeah. um, for those type of routes, right? I think he was like a 4-4-5 four, four, guy or something like that. Um, and he showed some speed on, on some of the deep shots that, sure. he, that he had this season, right? But he's not... He's going to be, I wouldn't go so far as to say he's a gadget player, but anything that he provides on offense is going to be a bonus, especially because we talked about some of his issues, especially kind of on the release in his routes and getting bodied and not being able to get to the right spot, getting walled off. He is someone who, if you're going to rely on the timing on that deep shot, you're, you're going to need some protection. It's going to be a need to be a deep shot that's schemed up for him. He's not going to be that kind of like that, that kind of deep threat that you think that you would have with someone like even Travis Benjamin, who was going to offer a little bit of that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it makes sense for how they, you know, are, are probably going to operate most time offensively, right? I think you have Ayuk that uh, can be that guy when you want to take your shots deep, but otherwise, a lot of their, um, you know, deeper shots are going to be things that are schemed up that that are probably going to be pretty open, right? And it's going to be even guys like George Kittle. We know that Juice is going to probably get a handful of you know shots on on some uh, deeper routes there coming off play action, so. Uh, they're they're gonna have things like that, right? Where they they get guys open down the field, um, and and so I think when they want to just go to somebody on a deep post and hope that they can uh, have their guy run by the defender, Ayuk has got to be that guy. It's it's Shanahan basically saying, I don't even need my guys to be fast. Like I'm still gonna get them so wide open that they're going to be comparatively slow, and there's still gonna be no one around them. Like that's, that's, that's what he's effectively counting on. And, Which I feel I mean, like is a, a little bit of a departure from, because I, I feel like they've, there was like such a focus on speed, right? Like, yeah, we know that at the running back position, that's uh, always a big thing for them. But um, yeah, it seems like that's kind of always been a, a thing that he's focused on. I feel like he's been trending this way for a while, though. He's yeah. been trending towards the bigger person, the bigger, the slot guy. I mean, this is why Jalen Hurd is so, um, is so appealing to him. And Jalen Hurd's not slow by any stretch, but he's not the kind of like, the he's not the Taylor Gabriel of the world. He's not the Marquise Goodwin. He's not the kind of always speedster that Shanahan has always seemed to want to have around. Um, and maybe Shanahan feels he's got that in Ayuk, and, and he probably does. I mean, Ayuk is fast. Yep. He's, he's just flat out fucking fast. And and so you you have a little bit of that juice there, but this is these are wide receivers that kind of fit a little bit more of what Jimmy likes to do in terms of kind of being big, providing big targets, winning in the middle of the field, not necessarily going to be that deep, long, straight line speed where Trey Lance can just kind of throw it up, unless you're talking about maybe 
Shitterfield or, or Ayuk, which honestly in this offense maybe is enough to do it. You take targeted shots and that's that. Um, so yeah, just interesting about the wide receivers in general. I am happy though that Jawan Jennings made it. Um, I'm curious to see if, if he's going to get some screens thrown to him more than likely he will, because I mean, that's what they did in the preseason. He's good with the ball in his hands. I'm looking to see him roll over someone, but yeah, two former Tennessee wide receivers on the team. Cause, uh, you've got Hurd who started at Tennessee before he went to Baylor. Uh, and then you've got Juwan Jennings. Was that Tennessee? So Wasn't we'll was Hurd though? Might have been. Was he a receiver at Tennessee? No, I think he was, he was running a running back. back, right? He yeah. was a running back. That's right, running back. Uh, and then he moved to receiver when he went to Baylor. So then you've got some mild surprises on the roster. Number one, Tom Compton over Colton McKivitz. Uh, this little tidbit comes from Nick Wagner from ESPN. Only four drafted players out of a possible twenty in the last three draft classes isn't on this initial roster. So the last three draft classes would have been 2019, 2020, and 21. Those four players are Justin School, who's hurt, Tim Harris, Caden Smith, and Colton McKibbitts. That's it. The team generally likes to stick with their guys. They do. And, and, and I mean, Marcel Harris is probably the, the premier example of the team sticking with their guys. So much so they even made him change positions because they're like, we drafted you as a safety and you're not good. So let's try to actually make you a linebacker. We're going to try everything that we can to keep you on this roster, Marcel Harris. And they did. They, they, they converted him to linebacker. He still misses tackles, but he, he misses them, but he gets there a lot faster. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, uh, as far as Compton over McKivitz, I mean, how did you put it when we were talking about this? It's uh, like, which one of your nuts do you want to get punched in? Um, yeah. Which... <laughs> Like, yeah, the idea harsh, is like, it, but they're both, it either is going to hurt, right? It's like, there's no clear winner. It's just, which one oh, of these is going to be the there. shitty outcome? Nobody wins there. Uh, and, and yeah, I think it's just like McKivitt's Compton is an actual, you know, they wanted another interior guy um, in, in that spot. And I think they tried to make that work with McKivitt's, but uh, it wasn't, I, I think it was going to be a long shot for him to make that conversion. I just, I just think he didn't have kind of the strength to play inside. It was a struggle for him when he was out on the outside, um, you know, with more space playing at tackle uh, in, in college there, like strength was a big issue for him. So I think it was a going to be a tough transition. And, and they obviously decided that they've kind of are, are done waiting to see how that's going to go. And and so, yeah, I think they wanted to go with an, another interior guy. They feel, feel good enough about Jalen Moore, um, you know, being kind of the swing tackle and there you are. Yeah, Joe Staley, who's now a part of the NBC Sports Bay Area uh, crew, he talked a little bit about Jalen Moore and said that he saw all the movement skills that you would expect out of a tackle, that he thought those are things you can't teach, things you can't coach. Those are the things that we saw on tape, too. I mean, he's he's got the movement skills. He's just got some technique stuff to clean up. And he got a lot of a lot of play in the preseason to do it. And and so I think that and and it just tackles a much more valuable position. And if you can hit on a, a player at tackle, that's where you want to play him. Yep. It doesn't seem like Sean Coleman is in the team's plans at all. Dude's an IR. His season's over. It was listed as a tricep strain, which usually that's not like an, a season ender. Usually it's like a ruptured triceps or something that ends up ending your season. But it's like he strained his triceps and all of a sudden he he's done. This is his third is straight year not playing football. My guy just grabbed a dumbbell that was maybe five pounds too heavy on those triceps extensions you know dude uh, uh sometimes it, that's all it takes you know <laughs> you go from five pounds to seven and a half 
And for me, that's that's enough. That is I'm done. enough. I'm done. Can't do it. Tap out. Uh, the other surprise is Devontae Harris over Dante Johnson. Don't worry, guys. The barnacle will be back. Dante Johnson, what is dead may never die. Like he's he's gonna be back. Don't worry. He's he'll be fine. And the drinking game will live on. It will. Uh, because we've got the at this point, it is the Johnson Dix rule. Um, and I'm going to refrain from making lots of statements about Johnson and release. So instead, we're gonna talk about Devontae Harris. He was in the 2018 draft class, he was out of Illinois State. Still not sure if that's the team that beat Scott Frost, Nebraska. Um, but you know, who knows? We'll see. Uh, he played with the Broncos in 2019. Ravens in 2020. So he's got experience in Fangio's kind of split safety coverage system. And he's got experience in the Ravens man heavy blitzing system. And he comes to the 49ers kind of like just as an under the radar thing. It's like, Hey, we're going to sign you. It's going to be some death. We'll see what happens. Uh, depth, not death. Uh, and mean, maybe, maybe he even shared a number with someone else. This is how highly they thought of him. They're like you can't even have your own number. And yet here he is on the team. He made it. We went back. We watched uh, basically all of his key plays from the last season. And we watched all 15 of his preseason snaps. David, what did you take away from Devontae Harris's tape? I understand why he was cut midseason last year or cut, traded one of the, I don't know. He started with Denver, ended up in in Baltimore last year. Um yeah, I, I think so. On one hand, I, it's it's not too surprising. I think like he fits a mold that they have liked at, at outside corner, right? I think he's got some decent length to him, some decent size. Um, you know, there's there's some strength there. I mean, you met, brought up when we were kind of going through things the the what twenty two bench reps um, that he he had at the combine there. So I mean, there there is some strength there, and I think he's got some good straight line speed um that you can kind of see on on some of the the deeper more vertical routes but yeah i think he he struggles to change direction um pretty badly like i mean i think anytime we saw him he'd try to get into guys you know like trying to tr- be physical at the line of scrimmage and, and he'd kind of be there on their hip during the route stem as they're getting into it and then all of a sudden they would make their break and and you would have yards of separation, right, that, that would suddenly be created. So I think he just struggles a little bit to be sticky with guys. Um, but you you can see why they like him because they like the, some of those traits, right, some of the athletic traits. And, and if you can run with somebody and take away the stuff down the sideline, like that's kind of can be enough in a pinch, I guess. And, and so I think, yeah, that's kind of why – I, I imagine what they saw in him that they liked is that like, okay, if things really hit the fan, like at least he can do some of these, these basic things that we need out of the position. Two things really jumped out at me about uh, his, his tape, Devonte Harris's tape. One, he's not Dante Johnson. I don't say that glibly. I say it because you know what Dante Johnson is at this point. Dante, John- Dante Johnson is the epitome of a replacement level player. He or someone like him is going to be available. He has been available for the 49ers throughout his entire career. So I call him the barnacle. He's never going to leave. So at this point, I feel like, yeah, take a chance on someone else. See what they can bring to you. Maybe you can get a little bit more out of this player because he's got maybe a couple of physical tools. Maybe he's a bit stronger. Maybe he's got more experience in different systems, and that's going to help him perform well in this one, especially if the Niners are going to play more pressure packages and more blitz-heavy stuff. Maybe his experience with the Ravens is going to behoove him here with the 49ers. It's it's a swing that you can take at the bottom of the roster because, you know what, if it doesn't work out, then you have another replacement-level player who's there or Dante Johnson is there. 
So it's like it's kind of like a low a low risk move in my in my opinion. Um, and he's got some tools. He he has some straight line speed. Um, and he man he he is an elite pointer. He is very very good at that under call. This outside receiver is going under. I'm not going to worry about him. I'm gonna I'm gonna find work. And that that part is is a little ridiculous. But he did it fairly well. Communication in one of the plays, is key. All right, you it is. In one of the plays uh, for the Chargers or against Chargers, I shall say, um, he he did have a play where he had the in call, pointed in, came off, found work on the crosser, ended up getting uh, uh, what what probably should have been an interception if the quarterback. The throw was, was so to- horribly inaccurate <laughs> that even being in good position, uh, he missed everything. So it was just playing the ball well in this case was bad. Was a, it was a bad move. Because the quarterback, I think it was Easton Stick. I really do think it was Easton Stick. I think you're right. NFL quarterback Easton Stick, dude. Still, North Dakota do we, State. Do we know if he's still today a, an NFL yeah, quarterback? Yeah, he made the roster. Oh, I mean, wow. look, this was a couple of hours ago, so he, he could have he could have things change. Unfortunately, I still I can't even bring myself to think like you you emerge from final cuts and then all of a sudden you know they make a waiver claim and it's like nope, just kidding. You thought you were safe, and two days later you got to go. That I still that like hurts my heart even thinking about that prospect. But North Dakota State, uh, Easton Stick made a roster. Of course, Trey Lance and Trey Lance's backup ended up being a graduate assistant at, at some other school. And then they had injuries in their quarterback room, so they asked the quarterback that they asked the the assistant to play quarterback because he had one year of eligibility, and he is the starter. Wow. <laughs> he went as a coach, and now he's a starter. North Dakota State. Quarterbacks coming to bases everywhere. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean it's good that Trey Lance made the roster. I I, I think it's you know probably a positive sign for him that he they were going to keep him around on the 53. So it was close. They almost redshirted him because of a microchip in his finger, which is a funny sentence to say uh, because it's like it's like you've got a bone chip, but it's a microchip, but not that microchip. It's just a little chip. Yeah. It's interesting, but uh, so Devonte Harris overall, I think, yeah, take a shot, man. He's got some physical tools. Uh, you see if they can actually put something together for him this season, and he's going to provide some good depth. If anything, he's likely going to play special teams, and he can run in a straight line very, very fast. And he probably hits hard. He can bench press a lot. He's a strong guy, um, unless he's going up against Jarvis Landry, in which case he may get bodied a player two, <laughs> as he did on tape, and it was. I, th- I was like, is that a tight end? No, it's just Jarvis Landry. <laughs> Stiff armed six feet deep into the turf. Oh, my goodness. Uh, David, did you have any, any disappointments about the end of the roster? Um, I mean, we talked about Dante Johnson. I know that's always that's always going to hurt your heart a little bit. No, yeah, Anyone I, else I don't think there were any like major surprise. Like, I think, you know, looking at, at how things were going to shake out at the end of the receiver depth chart, how things were going to shake out uh, at the bottom of the secondary depth chart between the safeties and in those last few corner spots were interesting. But I don't know that there were again, because it was just a, a large group of players that really had no way like previously of, of, of really distinguishing themselves from one another. I think it was going to be interesting to see who they stuck with, but yeah, it's not going to be a huge surprise that they went with, you know, somebody, uh, you know, like Devonta Harris, even uh, honestly, or, or going with Tavon Wilson over haha Clinton Dix or, you know, any of those types of moves um, I don't think are like terribly surprising because again, it was just like, they just need to just kind of sort through the bodies there and and this is what's left 
Yeah, I would have loved for someone like Clinton Dix to stick around, not just because of the drinking game, but because I think he's he can still contribute to an NFL team at this point in his career. And and I'm still not sure that he is a worse player than Jaquaski Tart or even Tavon Wilson. But I just think when he was signed and he they were looking for bodies. I don't know. He had an uphill battle yeah. when he was signed to make the roster. But because the practice squad now is 16 players big and six of those spots can be given to veterans with any number of accrued seasons, there's lots of players that can be brought on for depth. You think of last season and you think of Dion Jordan, who opened up the season on the practice squad. He ended up playing something like 12 or 13 games last season. Um, and so the players that make the practice squad, especially at maybe safety um, or positions like that, may actually end up contributing. And so I'm curious to see if someone like Haha Clinton Dix makes the practice squad because Jaquaski Tart is like his toe basically was falling off. And then it was like, oh, you can play. It's like, and if you can make it through a week, you're going to make the roster. But who knows? Toe injuries are real, real weird. Um, and and those real, real, like turf toe, I feel like is such an innocuous name for something that is basically like a, a, a fucked up ligament in your toe that hurts a ton whenever you do anything. Um, and so who knows? Who knows what happens with that injury? And, and he has, I think, been chronically injured as of late. So yep. who knows what happens the rest of the season? But right now, everything is settled. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's like, is, is a final point. That is probably the most concerning part for me, uh, about the roster in general is just like kind of the general concern about depth in the secondary. Like it, it just feels like they need to get very lucky and have those starters stay healthy. And if they don't like it, it could be very problematic. Which one of the secondary players do you think would hurt the most if they got injured? Uh, unfortunately, probably Jason Verrett. I think you probably have to go yep. with at this point, um, which is, you know, a tough ask relying on him to be there for 16 games. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think that's probably the one that jumps to mind myself, too. I mean, Emmanuel Mosley even has been in and out of camp so far this season. But um, at this point, I feel like Jimmy Ward has been healthy long enough that like he didn't jump into my mind immediately, which is good. Right. Good sign for him. Yeah. Which probably means he's due for a, a broken bone sometimes. Yes. Uh, sometimes soon. You, you heard it here first. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, last thing on the final roster, who returns punts? You've got four players that return punts in practice. Travis Benjamin, River Craycraft, Richie James, and Simba Webster. None of them are on the final 53. So... At this point, you're thinking, okay, maybe Brandon Ayuk. How do you feel about putting Brandon Ayuk back there? Your number one wide receiver, the only wide receiver with any reasonable, appreciable speed, is now also going to be taking punt return hits. How does that make you feel? I don't. I I don't think it's that bad. Like like, obviously you uh, you know, don't would would probably love to be in a situation where you don't have to take that risk, but I don't know that it's like a terrible thing. I, I don't feel like you see a ton of returners like get hurt very much. I don't know. Maybe it's, I, maybe I it's just me in, in uh, selective memory and, and not remembering all of the many punt returners who are getting injured all the time. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't feel terrible about it. I think, like, on one hand, it could be nice because you get a playmaker back there, you know, who maybe can generate some positive plays. But at this point, too, like, you just don't get a lot of punts even returned. Like, you know, yeah. a, a lot of times it's somebody back there. Can they fucking make a fair catch and hold on to the ball? That's it. 
Yeah, I also think that someone like Travis Benjamin, I don't think he ever really had a shot to make the roster. Not, that doesn't mean he won't have a shot to contribute, but because Travis Benjamin is a vested veteran, meaning he's got more than four or more recruit seasons on his resume, his salary would have been guaranteed week one if he's on the day one roster. And so that well, this is why I think Everson Griffin was also cut by the Vikings. It's a procedural move so that they don't have to guarantee the salary for the entire season. Travis Benjamin's another player that may come back on that 53. And because of the new practice squad rules, you can get promoted twice in a season and revert back to the practice squad and never be exposed to waivers. So if the Niners do end up with someone like Travis Benjamin on the roster, okay, maybe he's there. Maybe it's like, okay, we're going to take more deep shots this game. We're going to threaten deep. And so maybe Travis Benjamin comes in for a couple plays. Like he may be someone that the team keeps around on the practice squad if they feel that he can add some value. Um, I think the same thing for Nasimba Webster. You could, you could, they were, they were fighting for the last roster spot. Maybe they take up a a receiver practice squad spot. Um, The practice squad being so large now, and and with the expectation that players are going to miss time, I think a lot of players on that, on that squad are going to contribute and can contribute over the rest of the year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, makes sense, especially again with those, those additional spots that can be veterans. Like those are, are really kind of key extra spots that you know you're going to deal with injuries like, and and there's a very good chance that some of those guys are going to get action. So. Uh, All right. Well, I think that's final roster talk. Let's get to a recap of this two quarterback system because it is all the talk. It is all the rage. And I have to take a moment to say that if you have been listening to us for a while, and I think I recently, uh, it was like almost 10 years at this point since we've been doing it uh, in one form or another. And one of the very, very first episodes was one of the former co-hosts, Richard, And he came on talking about how a two-quarterback system was going to be the future of football and someone should try it. And and this happened, you know, with... He thought Mike Vick and... uh, Oh, God, who did he think should be with Mike Vick and some kind of a two-quarterback system? Um, I forget, but I remember it was like Mike Vick. He talked about Kaepernick and Alex Smith doing some kind of thing. And and in his mind, both quarterbacks would be on the field at the same time. (laughs) And you just... And you never knew which one was going to be a thing. This is... I feel like... The way everyone in the NFL was talking about this, we were almost there. Like like Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo were basically on the field at the same time because they were swapping out so rapidly. It was like second down, it was third down. And, I mean, you had Greg Papa losing his mind over Jimmy Garoppolo bringing the play in. I know, it's wild, man. Can you believe it? Shanahan doesn't even have to radio the call and he can just tell him right <laughs> next to a guy and then send him in like we're in high school. It was it was nuts. It was wild. Um, so let's let's take a look at what happened in the first couple of drives. And let's start first with, oh, I think Richard would get mad at me if I didn't say this. Richard was right. He he wanted me to call him Nostradamus on the podcast specifically. Was so right. the ghost of Richard, still here. Uh, just, you know, less less funny. Do we want to but, talk, I'm looking at this actually before we, like, do we want to touch on whether this is even a good idea? Um, it feels like sure. we should maybe touch on that a little bit. I don't know. Touch what, me, David. What do you think? Touch me. I mean, I'm going to touch uh, you later, but. Do I? <laughs> we have all of Kentucky to do it, my friend. Um, what what do I think it's a good idea? So when I was thinking about what this was going to look like, I thought it was going to be more like Taysom Hill and Drew Brees. And where you were going to have situations where the second quarterback, in this case, Trey Lance, was going to come in. And those situations were red zone, short yardage type of stuff. I still don't know that that's not what's going to happen. I don't know that that what he showed in the preseason is actually what he's going to do in the regular season. I I think it would have 
it would have tipped his hand too much. He's not about tipping his hand in the preseason. I think this was kind of trying to like overdrive it to basically run the car to its limit and redline it so that in the regular season, you can pull it back a little bit and you're fine. But you give people a lot to think about in the preseason. And, and that's what I think this was. I don't think this was a dry run for the regular season. If it was, I, I don't know if it's a good idea. I mean, I guess what, what would make it a good idea? Is it a good idea if it works? I do think there's something to a quarterback getting rhythm in the game. Seeing coverages, getting familiar with how a corner is playing leverage, getting familiar with what's happening around you. And I do think that the kind of fits and starts of getting in and out doesn't matter so much if you're going to run the quarterback. It does matter quite a bit if that if Lance is going to start having like five or six attempts a game um, and coming in on second down but not third down. I, I think that would be a little weird. So I think I'm I'm definitely unsure about whether or not it's a good idea, but we'll have to see. Right, and and it kind of like if it's going to be something that's more similar to what we saw in this this preseason game, right? Like he's gonna have to throw some because it's it's one thing if you bring him in, and I think this is kind of the the thought process we both had, right? Is is like okay, you bring him in in short yardage, you bring him in in what are already obvious run situations, right? So it's not the end of the world if like okay, they're bringing Lance in, they're gonna run it. Right. And it's like, okay, yeah, well, they were probably going to fucking run it anyway. Right. Because that's just what the situation is, is dictating. And so you don't worry about tipping your hand in that way as much. Um, And I think like if suddenly he's coming in on on first and tens. Right. Or or just like normal situations. Yeah. Like he needs to throw the ball like you you can't just have a a clear run. Like we're going to put Jimmy in there on the passes and we're going to put Lance in there on the runs. Right. Like. Uh, that that's not going to be a good idea for them either. So I, I think, yeah, it is going to be interesting to see how much of this they they go to because I I kind of agree. Like I think it it doesn't really do either one of them a whole lot of of good, right? Like if they're bouncing back and forth like that, I I don't think we get the best of either one of those guys. And like, yeah, it's it's fun. Like and it was fun in this game, right? To to watch for a few drives, and it definitely has that like shock effect when you first see it and, and like you're not fully prepared for it right it, but once teams are, are kind of more prepared and you've got a a beat on tendencies when they they bring in you know each quarterback and kind of what things are happening there like yeah I, I just don't think it it really does you a lot of good to bounce back and forth like that so often yeah, I think Taysom Hill, if we look at Taysom Hill's 2020 snaps, there were a couple of games in there where he played because he was effectively the, the main quarterback in weeks 11 through 14. So if you exclude those games, you basically have him with no more than two attempts a game whenever he played. It's like two dropbacks, one attempt, one completion. Uh, and, and that's going to be, I think, the, what you're, what I was thinking would come from Lance. It was weird to see him come in like on second down. And then, because you would think like third down or third and short or goal line, but it was like he came in even in the goal line on second down to run the ball. And then you get Jimmy with the play action on third down. Um, And I don't know, it just, it does feel a little bit, it's like, okay, Jimmy's coming in for third down. Yeah, he's going to throw it. And so, it, like, you, you you knew that. And so the play action for me, like, I was expecting it. And I think that's why he I mean, ran it in. If, if like, I think the defense probably was, too, because, you know, it's like all the guys were know. fucking covered. Like, everybody, like, nobody was fooled, right? Like, everything uh, w- was covered up there. And so, 
Yeah, I, I think like once you get beyond the initial shock there, I, I don't feel like it is ultimately like an effective long term approach for them. And I, I think, yeah, even with, you know, I think you see stuff with Taysom Hill, like it felt like Taysom Hill would come in too whenever it was like clear they needed to throw deep. Like if they were going to go, yeah. you know, like end a half situation and they needed somebody with actually some arm left in them, like they would bring in Taysom Hill and have him throw like the Hail Mary or whatever, right? take some of those deep shots and like I could see that kind of thing. Right. But yeah, I feel like um, while we definitely expected that Lance was always going to have some sort of role and be on the field, you know, starting week one um, in some capacity. Yeah. I I definitely didn't expect this. I thought it was going to be a much more limited kind of pick your spots thing, but overall Jimmy was going to be getting most of the snaps. Well, what kind of plays did we see then when Garoppolo and Lance were coming in and they were swapping in and out and Greg Papa was losing his mind about Jim Garoppolo being able to run the play in? You don't have to radio in and you can snap the ball quickly. Um, what did we see from the offense? Did it look any different? Did did the run concepts look different? What, we actually got to see some of Lance's like option run concepts, which we hadn't seen in the previous two games what kind of offense did the Niners put on the field when they were swapping quarterbacks? I mean, it was it was basically like two offenses at once, right? Like, I mean, they would be in there uh, with Jimmy and you would get all the standard stuff, right? All the standard zone runs, the, the movement stuff, uh, off play action with that, you know, just typical things that we've come to expect from from this offense over the last several years. And then suddenly you know you would get lance in there and it was we're getting back in the shotgun we're getting in the pistol and we're we're seeing some of this stuff that we saw you know the 49ers fans haven't seen really since colin kaepernick was there and and that is usually stuff that we see more on saturdays right watching college football and it was uh yeah i I think it was it was a lot of fun once they would get into some of those pistol looks and uh, you see some of the stuff that they're doing. I mean, they, they were going with this like inverted quarterback counter where they would basically have the counter blocking for Lance, right? And then you would see, uh, which he didn't actually I, I keep it on this concept at any point. It was always a give and it was always, I think it was always uh, Mostert was always the one that was in there on it. Um, but either way, it was, yeah, you would see the back going kind of opposite of the blocking all on his own. Uh, and they did that a few times, and, and I think it worked out very well. And obviously, um, Lance had the the touchdown run there on the, the only keep that he had on any sort of zone read, right, because they – we're hitting them with it, and and uh, you know the the end there that they had on block was just forcing the give, forcing the give, forcing the give, and then they ran a, a handful of plays there that looked very similar. That was out of that pistol stuff, um, but they they didn't actually have a read right. You were seeing um, the guy that would have typically been read. He's getting blocked uh, usually by the fullback or tight end coming across, and and so they like really made you think that it was going to be give right, and and kind of showing that running back option, and then suddenly that that end gets a little antsy and, and crashes down there and then he pulls it and walks into the end zone. So yeah, it was, it was very uh, different, but it was a lot of fun watching them go back and forth. I mean, that's the beauty of those option plays is the D end is going to play one way and you're just going to constrain what he's going to do. You're going to give your running back a bit more space. And then finally, when he gets fed up or when he doesn't play it the right way, bam, it's a touchdown. That's the beauty of what this can do. It's why Shanahan calls it a sound of football play. At one point, they had 15 rushes, 9 passes, and 14 points. 
in the preseason game. Like, like Shanahan isn't lying to you when he's talking about establishing the run. He wants to run the ball, and he's going to run the ball. And if he can win the game by running the ball, I think he's going to do it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, so and and that was kind of the thing when once I saw because we we had mentioned I think in a, a previous week right that we didn't really expect them to to break out much of the QB run package right with Lance and that they were going to kind of save all that stuff uh, for the regular season and and so we got a little taste of it here and I'm just thinking like I don't know how Shanahan's going to be able to control himself and not want to just have Lance in there all the time like. He's clearly having a blast drawing this shit up. And and yeah, like I, I think you're absolutely right. Like if he can uh win consistently by running the ball a shit ton, you know, over fifty percent of their snaps, and like he's probably gonna go ahead and do that and just uh, you know, really use the passing game more as to to hit bigger shots, bigger chunk yardage, right? Um, is is kind of getting mixed in there, but um, absolutely. I think he would prefer to run the ball. And I think when you see just how much more effective their run game can be when Lance comes in there and all of the additional options that open up, um, with that, it's just, yeah, it's, it's hard to imagine that Shanahan isn't itching to get him in there full time. This was also a game though, where we got to see a fair bit of Lance and we've now got three preseason games for Trey Lance. We've got a little bit more than a game's worth of dropbacks. When our prior for him and our scattering report for Trey Lance said that he was a quarterback who was supremely talented, who could help you in the quarterback run game, but who had some accuracy issues. And and you would hope that those would get a little bit better, um, but he was able to kind of process the field and see things in front of him and, and kind of work through pro concepts, which was uh, definitely a feather in his cap. Um, so now with you know three preseason games under Lance's belt, what does he need to work on? Was that report accurate? Is that what we're seeing? And and what do you think about how he's performed so far this preseason? I, I think he showed us a lot of, you know, what we saw in college. And I think um, the accuracy, number one, is, is still a concern. I think it's been uh, really kind of the extremes with him, right? As is kind of looking up some of the accuracy data, um, you know, as we were prepping for the show and, and you see like, so in terms of quarterbacks over the course of the preseason who attempted, I think it was at least 25 passes, right? He was tied for seventh with the most, the highest percentage of passes that PFF has marked with, uh, like a quote unquote, perfect accuracy, right? So just ideal ball location based on the throw, hitting the receiver perfectly in stride, um, right exactly where you want it to be. Right. So it has a very high percentage of those throws. I think the only quarterback really that was notable that was ahead of him, that's actually going to be somebody that might be playing on Sunday is of course, Patrick Mahomes. Um, and, and so that's, uh, a good company to be in there. The highs are high. The highs are high, my friend. They're up there. Uh, But the lows uh, are are there a lot too. So when then when you look at the other end of the spectrum, the the percentage of throws that are just completely uncatchable, right? Just you're not giving your receiver a chance to even make a play on the ball uh, tied for sixth in terms of most, the highest percentage of those throws. So in this case, high is not good. High is not good in, in this one. So yeah, I, I think it's just, we've seen, uh, and, and in this game, right, there were definitely throws like that. You see the very first throw of the game. Um, he, he one hops it to Trent Sherfield, right. Uh, and, 
Uh, so you see throws like that that are just way off the mark. But then, you know, he comes back and he hits, uh, you know, a nice outcut. Or they had the one play action uh, throw where he's rolling to his left and he hits Jalen Hurd on the crossing route, right? Moving to his left, throwing kind of back across his body right on the money and that front shoulder, you know? So it, it's just, yeah, I, I think it's kind of all over the place. And that's the thing that we really needed to see from him here is is developing some sort of uh, consistency, right? And moving that in the positive direction. I think right now it's still very much a high variance thing whenever he's looking to throw the ball. Now, one procedural note, when you're talking about the accuracy charting for PFF, that I mean, he's had a lot of drops. He's had nine drops so far this preseason. That's about four and a half attempts. It's a drop every four and a half attempts, which is, uh, it, it, that's bad. That's very bad. And that's on the receivers. That's not on Lance. So for example, the Jalen Hurd pass that was dropped, that's going to get charted as accurate by PFF, even though it wasn't caught, right? Because it was perfect on the front shoulder and Jalen Hurd just drops it. Um, and, or maybe it was Wait. another pass where he, yeah. yeah, I'm thinking the, of the, the other over route. Yeah, that one was not. So that would have been like a good example of one that's catchable, but inaccurate. inaccurate. Right? So, uh, yeah. I mean, if you look at that throw, uh, there's a lot of space out in front, right? Like you, that's really one you would like to see a little bit more touch on for him to get some air under it, let the receiver run to it, tries to put it more on a line, you know, leaves it behind, forces the adjustment from herd. Um, so yeah, catchable, but not, you know, where, where you want that ball to be. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll have, I, I already started this discussion a little bit on the Patreon, but I've been thinking a lot about Colin Kaepernick lately. Um, cause I mean, it, when you see Lance in the pistol, when you see, the zone read runs when you see arc blocks. I mean, I like I have half a mind to go pull up the the Niners playbook from 2012 that we've got and just look at some of the run concepts and see what's in there and see if Shanahan's going to pull anything from there because it just it feels it feels familiar and I just I find it so funny that Shanahan. Well, I mean, the first thing that he did it was like Colin Kaepernick. It's been great, man, but like you're not the quarterback for this offense, and that's cool. Who's the best, right? And over the course of the last four years, basically, he's come around and like. Colin Kaepernick would be a really interesting backup to Trey Lance if Jimmy Garoppolo is gone. Yeah, like it would. Yeah. It would be that. That's if you want the same style of quarterback. That's that's what you got. I do think that Lance is a better quarterback and a better prospect than Colin Kaepernick. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that they're congruent or the same. Um, but I do think that that what what Lance, what I've seen that I think he can improve on is his timing and just trusting what he sees. I do think this is maybe some of the the issue with coming from FCS where you've got really wide open windows and inaccurate throws don't really cost you. And you can be a beat late because you're not going to have a safety or a corner close that window really quickly. Your timing doesn't have to be perfect. It can be very good and you're still going to complete a lot of balls. But in the NFL, every window is smaller. Everything is shorter. Everything is a little bit tighter. And I do think he doesn't always trust what he sees especially when he's hitting quick hitting concepts to his left for whatever reason. We've talked about the now route that he missed and the, the one hopper that you talked about earlier, he has a guy who's wide open and you can see him pull the ball down and hesitate. He's going to go for the wide open guy, but then you can see him decide, no, 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 no I'm going to go a little bit deeper. And then he tries to throw that deep pass, but it's just that little hitch, that little stop, that little hesitation. And then he tries to throw it and he ends up one hopping it. And, and you see him kind of stop and freeze and be like, Oh, should I do this before he does it? And then everything kind of goes a little already. And he tries to either throw it really hard or get it in there really quickly, or he can't get it on where he needs to go. And, and that I think is fixed with reps. That's fixed with experience. You get, you get used to NFL timing, you get used to NFL speed. 
Um, which is why I still think that the best thing for him is to get playing time. Um, and that's what's going to help his development. That's what's going to propel him into being the quarterback that that I think that he can be. Because if you're looking at Josh Allen as as the model for someone like Trey Lance, you have to just kind of take the lumps. You have to take the low percentage completions. You have to take those things in the hope that he's going to learn, grow, and see so that year two, year three even, now you've got the Josh Allen that everyone is just slobbering over. And maybe he's able to, to have another season like that. Maybe not. Who knows? But he needs those reps. He needs those snaps. Yeah, he, he needs reps dropping back and throwing, right? Like in situations where teams know that you're going to throw the ball, right? That there's no trickery in terms of you can't rely on play action. You can't rely on on kind of selling any of the fancy run game stuff that you've got to, to kind of get linebackers to bite up. Like you need situations where it's third down and eight. Everybody knows you're throwing and he needs to drop back, see what the defense is doing and and get the ball out with good timing and good accuracy, right? Like he needs practice doing those things. Cause even, yeah, now, um, you know, when you, even if they were to do something like we saw in this game, right, where he's going to come in a little bit more frequently, but your everything is, is going to be at that point still very tailored to him, right. And still going to be in very good situations. So when he comes in there and he does throw, it's going to likely be play action stuff. He's going to take some deep shots, right. It's going to be likely high efficiency things uh, or at least th- th- it's going to set him up to be highly efficient with those right by giving him these big open looks against defenses that aren't really sure what's coming and then if you get into those pass first situations well Jimmy's probably going to be the guy that, that they're going to put in there right now and so yeah I, I think um, absolutely like you, you just need to kind of deal with it and, and take some lumps and he needs to see those things because he's not going to, it's just not going to be the same um, getting, even getting some of those reps in practice until he gets out there and is getting it in front of a live defense. And that's, I think, there was a really interesting discussion uh, that Mitchell Schwartz started on Twitter, I think earlier today, talking about how quarter, how teams maybe evaluate quarterbacks. And he said very, very candidly, you know, I don't know that this is how teams do it. I don't know if this is what front offices think about, but Ultimately, I think a quarterback is defined by what they do on like third and six plus when the team and the defense knows they're going to throw when they've got chunk yards to grab and you, you can't hide the quarterback at this point. You, what does the quarterback do? What are they able to do? And when you look at the PFF passing grades of those situations, right, third, fourth down, you know, six plus yards to go or end of half, end of game, final four minutes, the best ones are the ones that we would consider in the elite realm. It's the Patrick Mahomes, it's the Russell Wilson, you know, it's, you know, last year, Josh Allen and, and you know, a couple people, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, those are the guys that are up there. And, and I think that's exactly it. It's that the quarterback can't hide behind play action. They can't hide behind a quarterback run game. It is, you're, you're dropping seven, maybe you're dropping eight. And now you've got to pick your spot. You've got to understand what the defense is doing, understand what the offense is doing and make the right decision in your brain and then translate that through your legs and arm to execute the to execute correctly, and yeah. and you get that I think by actually experiencing it. Or you're getting right that that's when you're you're going to get the pressure packages too. All of the 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 exotic things that defenses are going to do are going to be in those situations, right? When when you're you're getting play action and you've you're 
getting all the time in the world in the pocket to sit back there and wait for somebody to break open. And then you've got Kyle Shanahan designing your play action stuff. And so somebody's running wide the hell open in the middle of the field. Like, yeah, those are ideal situations, right? Like that's not the same as, yeah, like you said, third, you know, third and six plus those third and long situations where defenses are thrown like that's the shit that they spend all their time game planning for right all of the fancy shit that that Shanahan is getting with the run game like this is the defense's version of that all of their exotic pressure packages and things that they've been drawn up um, that's outside of just kind of those base coverages and base defenses that they're going to sit in for most of the game like that's going to be what's coming at you right so you need to be able to to see that disguise and figure out where you're going with the football and and so yeah I absolutely agree like that's the, those situations where the quarterback can't hide when you're trailing, um, you know, when, when everybody knows you're going to throw, that is, is where you kind of prove your worth as a quarterback. Cause a lot of people can look good when everything's easy for them. Yep. Accuracy and timing. That's what Lance has got to work on. And I think he's going to get opportunities in the regular season to do it. Um, you've got, you basically got three options for the quarterback run game. You've got coming in on short yardage situations they, you could alternate series, I guess as well. Um, which Bill Walsh did with Joe Montana and uh, and Steve Young. And you then can just do what Shanahan did this preseason and basically set the world on fire and just say, you know what? <laughs> Let's just go ahead and swap quarterbacks seemingly every other play. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, I think that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. We're going to be back next week after Kentucky with more bourbon in our bellies uh, and potentially in our suitcases. I legit am taking a duffel bag, an empty duffel bag in the bag that we have to check because when you travel with the baby i mean there's no not checking the bag at this point um and it's going to be empty so that we can pack clothes in there and fit the whiskey that we're bringing back in the check bag (laughs) (laughs) we learned this trick we learned this trick uh, coming back from france a friend recommended to us uh because we were going to bring back some champagne and some wine and shit from france and it works it definitely works (laughs) i'm excited man i'm pumped Uh, yeah, if, if anyone has any uh, restaurant recommendations, uh, we'll be doing some takeout, going back to the old Airbnb, enjoying Kentucky, what it has to offer, trying not to get sick. Uh, but yeah, that's what we got this week. We'll be back next week with the season preview. David, tell them about the Patreon. Patreon.com slash better rivals. Um, yeah, we're we're getting into it. Like mentioned, uh, we, we've got all sorts of content coming your way, right? We're doing two pods a week, but we're going to be able to get weekly videos now on, on plays that we found interesting or, or just things... Uh, you know, from each week's game that uh, we feel like fits better with video breakdown, right? That, that's a little bit more difficult to describe here on the pod. So definitely check that out. Buy us a beer. Um, we will be there often. You can always find me on Twitter at Better Rivals. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, go Niners. <laughs>